Oh, welcome. Uh, have a seat. We have some lights. That'll be great. Thanks, worship team. That was terrific. It's always good to come and worship the Lord and have a change of pace and uh, experience God's presence. And we invite uh, God to do more in each one of our lives. But we do want to experience the Lord. Uh, if you haven't found yourself a seat, there's a whole bunch over here and that corner down there. If you like to sit right up front, you've got uh, those as an option too. Hopefully you had a good summer. It feels like uh, this is the start of a new season, and uh, many folks are uh, connecting uh, with the kids getting back to school, and you start like the programs again, the sports programs kick up again. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do uh, these life groups, uh, the fairs. We'd uh, like you to get into a routine uh, that uh, has spiritual significance. Uh, so I'm doing a series starting today. Uh, I want to talk about mentoring and uh, living life with hope. And exactly how do we uh, do that? How do we uh, live our life with hope? Uh, what does it look like uh, to uh, have mentoring as a component of that? And uh, I think it's an area that's uh, actually a little... Um, misunderstood, and uh, perhaps even being a blind spot for uh, this church in particular and for the church at large uh, when we talk about uh, mentoring. Uh, what I mean by that is this. Uh, who really encourages you in your life? Who speaks into your life? Who you know, do you think of as someone says, this person really loves me, uh, this person's for me, uh, this person understands me, and uh, this person's advocating for me, uh, maybe even hopefully uh, praying for you, uh, who comes to mind? Uh, and you see, I would think that for many, it's kind of like a blank. It's like, ooh, I'm, I'm not sure I'd like that, but I'm not sure that that's happening. And, uh, you know, if, we, if you go back over your life and you think back a little bit and you think, okay, well, who made an impact on, on your life? Uh, who's left a, a mark in your life? You say, that's, that's really a positive uh, impact. There was a positive role model, or that was somebody that was really positive in my life. It may be, you know, all the way back to a Sunday school teacher, or uh, typically somebody will have had a teacher in their schooling uh, career that this particular teacher uh, liked you and advocated for you or just, uh, you know, ex extended some form of love towards you. And you remember that. Uh, it might have been a soccer coach or a music teacher uh, or somebody that just understood your artistic ability and they encouraged that. Uh, but you'll remember people in your life that have, you know, believed in you, that love you. Uh, and so with the series, I want us to look at that from a spiritual standpoint. So uh, I might ask the question, who in your life has been a spiritual father to you? Or maybe a spiritual mother to you? You'd say, you know, this person, uh, when I think of them, uh, I think of them as somebody that's really uh, spoken into my life. They've mentored me. They've uh, helped me. And what you might also find is that it's, like one person which really 
looms large in that. Or you might find that, well, it's actually several people, uh, different people at different seasons, or you know, there's a whole bunch of different people that have each had some impact in your life that's been helpful and meaningful. So uh, I want us to look at that and look at what this means to be mentored or uh, receiving somebody else uh, that's praying for us, as well as uh, how do we uh, pass it on and mentor others? How do we help others? How do we both receive and how do we uh, give? And uh, so uh, let's just look at this idea of mentoring. Now, uh, when I think of mentoring, uh, it's sort of a an interesting word because it means different things for different people. Uh, but let me just say it's more than being a student. I think being a student and a teacher is something that we readily understand. You go to school, you go to college, uh, you have a student-teacher relationship. But primarily uh, in that relationship, what you're looking for is the knowledge that the teacher has and you're trying to uh, obtain that knowledge uh, you're trying to pass a test. You're trying to make a grade. Uh, and that's, you know, a teacher-student uh, relationship. A mentor relationship or a coach relationship uh, is somewhat uh, different. A mentor is somebody that's uh, trying to coach you or help you or guide you, encourage you uh, in some capacity. But actually, if you take it uh, a step further, a biblical idea is this idea of being a disciple. Uh, being a disciple uh, actually comes from a, a Hebrew word, Talmud, and being a Talmudim. Uh, what that meant uh, in when the Bible was written, if you were a Talmudim, you were somebody that was saying, look, I see a leader, and you want to be like that person. And not just know what that person knows. You want to be like that person. So what would happen in a discipleship uh, relationship would be that uh, you had like close, close proximity uh, to a teacher that was teaching what he knew, but more importantly, he was role modeling his lifestyle. And you as the disciple, what you were trying to learn wasn't just what he knew. You were trying to learn how to live the lifestyle that that person was, uh, you know, typically it'd be a rabbi that he was uh, showing. And you'd say, I, yes, I'm committed to that lifestyle. So, you know, you can imagine that relationship was a whole lot more involved. And when you think of it with Jesus, uh, he had disciples, right? And what he was trying to impart into those disciples were to be people that thought like him, had a lifestyle like his, you know, you ate the same food, you went to the same places, you discussed the same agenda. You're, you're, it wasn't just teaching. Uh, it was hanging out together to the point that you would look like that. And uh, as a result, Jesus had, you know, three disciples that he invested in uh, the most. And uh, then he had 12 disciples that he was very close to. And then he had 72 disciples just by Definition, you can't be as close to 72 as what you can't uh, with three. Uh, so you have this idea of mentoring uh, or discipleship having different levels. And uh, I want to just, you know, 
have us think about that. Who is mentoring us? Or who is it that you want to be like? Uh, and maybe it's one person, but maybe it's, you know, different aspects of different people. And how are you going to do that? How are you going to allow that change to happen in your life? So uh, let me just uh, say today specifically uh, that I pray that you would encounter God's love primarily. Uh, and that if you had to think of, okay, what I get out of a mentoring uh, relationship, it, maybe the primary thing isn't knowledge, like it would be as a student. Maybe the primary thing that you get out is love. Uh, and that you receive love, you are loved, and therefore somebody is praying for you, with you, and it loves you, is encouraging you. Maybe that's you know the part that would jump out. Man, when I think of this relationship, I think of, of being loved. So uh, let me just uh, pray for uh, today's sermon. Uh, Lord, I just uh, pray that you would empower my preaching. Lord, as we look at uh, the books of First uh, and Second Timothy primarily, uh, Lord, that you would show us, uh, each one of us, what it is that you would have for us in terms of uh, being a disciple, being mentored, uh, becoming more like you, Jesus. So, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, anoint my preaching this morning. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Yeah, I don't know if, uh, you know, if the 12 disciples were envious of Peter, James, and John being in the sort of small group, the, uh, you know, uh, or what. But uh, somehow that Jesus obviously thought it was important uh, to pour out a lot of time on a few people. And it's uh, paid a dividend given that uh, Jesus' mission of pouring out your life in a few that they will then pour it out in others, uh, start churches and grow the church is still happening today. The church is still growing exponentially today since it did from uh, Jesus' first 3, 12, 72 disciples. So uh, I think we can know that that methodology, if anything, uh, is one that works. But um, let's have a look then at uh, 1 Timothy. If you've got a Bible, uh, why don't you open it to, to 1 Timothy? In fact, uh, let me just uh, quote something here or read from uh, a line from Paul in 1 Corinthians, because uh, I think this sort of encapsulates it. Uh, Paul says this uh, in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, he says, And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Now, just think of that for a second. This is Apostle Paul talking about discipleship or mentoring. He doesn't say you should know what I know, and I'm going to teach you. He says, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Wow, that, that's a whole different deal. Uh, we are trying to become more like Christ, but we need people uh, to help us to know what that looks like. And so when we look at uh, Paul trying to pass this on to Timothy, uh, he says the following in 1 Timothy. In this, uh, this letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God, our Savior 
and Christ Jesus who gives us hope. So, you know, there you have an indication. It's not who gives us knowledge. It gives us hope. Uh, This relationship, being part of a small group, being discipled, being mentored, uh, the bottom line is it should leave you with hope. Uh, And that's why uh, small groups, in some sense, are for all of us. We all need to be loved, and we all need some ability to have hope, no matter what our circumstances. And you don't do hope just alone. It's not like you just pray to Jesus and uh, you have hope. That's certainly part of it. Uh, but God has designed it that we receive hope from others. And then he says in verse 2, And I am writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. Timothy, my true son in the faith. You see, what Paul has done is he's copied Christ, and he said, okay, I need to have some close uh, disciples. And, uh, you know, as he's traveled and gone and done things and preached and there's been a few which have said, uh, I want to really become like you, Paul. And so Timothy is one of those. And so he's become a father in the faith for Timothy, uh, which is, you know, that means a lot. It means he's spending time with, uh, with Timothy. Timothy wants to become like Paul, uh, even though he's got a totally different personality to Paul. And uh, you know, in this particular relationship, uh, Timothy's probably about 30 years old, and he's probably timid. Uh, whereas Paul, you know, is bold. So, you know, in one sense, he's not asking somebody to be an exact duplication. Paul's not saying, you need to be exactly like me. Uh, what Paul is saying <clears throat> is you need to learn the Christ-like qualities that I have in the uniqueness that God has made you to be. And that's the, the role of a mentor or a coach is to know how you particularly wired and to encourage you in that and to know, you know, when you shouldn't be pushing the pedal of forcing you to become like somebody else that you're really not designed to be. Uh, being coached, being loved is somebody else seeing the Christ-like qualities in you and calling that out and helping you uh, to develop them. Uh, and it's unique to each one of us. Now, interesting, uh, in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy, it starts up uh, much the same way. And in 2 Timothy, it says, Timothy, my dear son. So in 1 Timothy, my true son in the faith. Now, Paul also uses that exact same phrase for Titus. Titus, my true son in the faith. You know, so there's this uh, relationship which is pretty close. And as a result, uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are known as the pastoral letters. So as we're going to see as we look at this, uh, these two books, 1 and 2 Timothy, in the next few weeks, a lot of it has to do with uh, the pastoral part of relationships. Uh, there's a lot of uh, Paul pouring out his life into Timothy and explaining to Timothy what he should do, what he shouldn't do, what's important, what's not important, Uh, you know, how to rearrange your life. Uh, And uh, we also get to learn a lot about church because uh, Paul is interested in the life of church. What does that look like? What is the structure? Uh, You know, all the names, elders, deacons, etc. So we get an insight as to 
what does this relationship uh, functionally uh, look like? Now, look how uh, Paul uh, prays for Timothy. He says, may God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Now, I don't know about you, but would that be the phraseology you would use for somebody you're trying to encourage? Uh, you know, say you're going to pray for your friend, you're on the golf course, and you're walking around together. I mean, typically, uh, a sort of a macho prayer would be, man, I hope you get the job promotion. I hope you make a lot of money. I pray that your life would be a blessing. Uh, let's go. You know, get the job interview, move ahead. But would you pray for somebody to have grace? Pray for somebody to have mercy and peace? Wow, that's a whole deeper uh, prayer or desire to see somebody filled with grace, mercy. I mean, you're talking about how you're going to respond to other people, what your countenance going to be like. And then uh, Paul gets into the letter and he says, when I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations, which don't help people live a life of faith in God. So, you know, here's the advice of a mentor, somebody that's been there before you. They can see the path clearly. They can say, this is not important. Don't like spend hours wasting your time in these kind of discussions or these arguments. Uh, let me give you a, some advice. Let me help you uh, get to the other end quickly. This is a distraction, and that's helpful in our own lives. Uh, and then he says, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. But some people have missed this whole point. Yeah, because, you know, what we think we need, and I'll speak for myself, uh, what I thought I needed as a young Christian growing up, and what I really needed, were like two different things. Uh, let, let me give you an honest case example. I, I just accepted Jesus, and my wife was going to this thing called a small group, which just seemed very weird to me. You, like, got together in the middle of the week sometime, and I had other plans for my life uh, for the middle of the week. A church, if anything, was going to be Sunday. This was a real stretch, just doing this middle of the week thing. And then we go to this small group, and there's like 12 of her friends and, and some leader there, and some guy's got a guitar, and they're all singing and worshiping, and I'm like, this is just weird. And, and then somebody would start like a Bible study. And I thought, well, now, now we're getting to the point. And so, like, I was interested in that part. And then they'd pray, and that was kind of weird, and, and I just like duck out of there. And so I picked up on how this rhythm went, like many of you do on Sunday morning. And I figured, like, yeah, I didn't do all that worship stuff. I'm not musical. I didn't get that. I need the real stuff, the Bible study. So I figured out they did, like, worship for, like, 20 minutes. So I'd show up 20 minutes late, just in time for the Bible study, get ready for the Bible study. But, you know, after doing this for a few weeks, I, I, I realized I was missing something. But I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was I was missing. I just knew I didn't get it. And then I thought, well, this Bible study was really going to get it for me. And I realized, well, it did, but it didn't. And, you know, it's like 
I need to be slapped over the head. I mean, I'm just a slow learner. It just took a long time to realize, wait a bit, there's something to this thing. When you just come and you worship God and you experience God's presence, there's a sense that you feel like loved. And, and then when you do some Bible study, it wasn't really like a university thing where you had to you know, pass a test. It was like more like how does this apply to your life and, and God's truth is really valuable. And then when people prayed for you, it actually made a difference. And, you know, I've, I slowly got the package. I mean, I slowly realized that, hey, I needed to be mentored. Now, if I was self-mentoring myself, it was the disaster that it was. You, you arrive 20 minutes late and, you know, you just like forget about that waffle worship stuff. Uh, you just want to get the meat and but I wasn't getting it. But if you're willing to go along with God's plan, uh, man, you experience a whole different thing. I realized that in that little group, people were more concerned about each other than some of my friends that I'd been hanging out with for years. And not only that, they like knew each other, like in a whole different level to what my friends knew about me. Uh, and and I didn't, I'd never experienced people actually praying for me or being concerned about my week. I mean, that just, that was a whole new experience for me. So, uh, like the Apostle Paul, speaking to Timothy, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. Now, I mean, it's like you have to read that a few times. It's like, Filled with love. You know, I'm just shooting in the group, trying to get the Bible study, pull out. I mean, being filled with love, didn't get it. But when you're part of the group, when you're part of people's lives, you, you get it. So, uh, you know, the question I'm asking here is, who is your father in the faith? And the other side of that question would be, who's the son? in your faith? Or who's your mother in the faith? Who's your daughter? I mean, who, who do you look up to and who are you giving towards? It's both, both sides, right? We want to receive and we want to, we, we want to give. Who does God use to be a mentor? Who does God choose? Uh, to be a mentor, you don't have to be a, a super perfect person. God just seems to use saved people. Not super people, but saved people. I mean, God just seems to use ordinary people to encourage and to mentor and to help. Uh, look at what Paul says about himself. I mean, you know, we look at Paul. He's the apostle. Uh, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. We highly esteem him. But remember, Paul, uh, looking at himself, uh, didn't see himself that way. Uh, he says this in First Timothy. 14. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. So there was this uh, genuine, I got filled with faith. I, I received this from Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And uh, so you got this idea that uh, we all fall short of God's perfection. And yet God is saying that even though we are sinners, he came to save us. 
and that God really loves us. And then Paul's uh, statement right after this is, and I am the worst of them all. Wow. So, you know, the Apostle Paul is saying, look, uh, if it wasn't for Jesus, uh, if it wasn't for Christ mentoring me, uh, if it wasn't for a sense of uh, Jesus, I have nothing. I was the worst of them all. And then he says, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience even with even the worst of sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. I mean, Paul is basically saying, listen, if I'm so bad and God can save me and help me, there's, there's help for anybody. And so Paul is both saying, Jesus is perfect. I was terrible. There's space for all of us uh, to be mentored, to receive Christ's love, to experience what that would be. Uh, what is the crucial part of mentoring? I mean, what is it that actually we're talking about? What, what is it that we want to have happen? Well, in verse 18 of chapter 1, it, it says this, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you. So, you know, Paul's saying to you guys, here's my instructions for you. This is the way I want to uh, suggest that you be mentored, or this is what I'm saying, uh, Timothy, is what's really important. And then he says this in chapter 2, verse 1, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Now look, that's something we can all do for others or a few. And it's something that we would love to have happen for us. Have somebody pray for you, to be interceding for you. I mean, that's a huge privilege. Uh, that's a big part uh, of when you be part of a group. It's very hard, for instance, for me to commit to pray for each one of you individually uh, each week. I mean, occasionally we'll just go through the church directory and we'll just pray for each one of you. But uh, on a consistent basis, I mean, I can pray a general prayer, but it's hard to pray individually for each one of you. But in my small group and for other small group leaders, uh, that is a discipline from the leader standpoint that I will pray for each person in that group. I'm just interceding for them, just praying for God's blessing for them. I'm praying for things will go well in their lives. Uh, it's part of being part of a smaller group. Somebody's going to be praying for you. Uh, when we look at some of the terminology of who the leaders are in the church, we come across what is a familiar-sounding list in chapter 3, verse uh, 1. It says this. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. So... Paul is saying, you know what? It's good to aspire to be something in the church. Uh, it is actually good to be an elder. The challenge we have is huge. And that is this. The word elder and deacon 
and bishop and overseer is not defined in the Bible. We don't have a ministry description of what those titles mean. What we do have is a list of criteria of what your personality and what your lifestyle needs to be in order to be in that position. So what happened in the church fairly early on uh, is, and we see it in the Roman Catholic Church uh, today, is they have defined those positions. In other words, uh, if I said to you, a bishop, uh, who's like sort of more important or, or higher in the hierarchy, a bishop or an elder? You would say, well, you know, it's a bishop. Uh, and what about an overseer? Well, I don't know. I don't any overseers. Well, in the New Testament language, they were using these phrases, these terms interchangeably. You could be a bishop or you could be an elder, or you could be an overseer, you were the same person. So the reason we have a challenge now is because when we hear these terms and uh, these titles, we've got an idea of what they are, but it's not what they are from the Bible, it's what they are from church tradition. And so, you know, in our church, I've deliberately decided we're going to call our senior leaders uh, overseers. I like that word because it's biblical and it doesn't have a whole lot of baggage attached to it versus an elder. Uh, but the point of this thing is not to explain all these different roles. It's more to say if someone aspires to be an elder or an overseer, uh, this is really an honorable position. Uh, what I do need to say here is this. To make it contemporary, to, to make this mean what it meant then, it would be saying, for those of you that desire to be a pastor, or for those of you that desire to be a small group leader, this is really an honorable position. Now, you see, we say, wait a bit. Be a small group leader or desire to be an elder or a bishop. I mean, I can see being an elder or a bishop, but how about a small group leader? What I'm saying to you is this is really a huge uh, honorable position to be a small group leader. Because now you are a pastor. Now you are uh, demonstrating to whoever's in your group two things. You're passing on knowledge that you have, but you're also passing on your lifestyle. You're saying to your group, uh, whatever group it's in, uh, these are the skills that I've learned in this area that I want to pass on to you. So even if it's a group that's specific, like financial peace, uh, you're going to hear... Steve's story about, you know, how he dealt with and is dealing with debt and how he's getting out of it and how this has been helpful for him. For him. And he's not just telling you facts. He's trying to explain to you how it's been helpful in his life and how you can likewise learn from what he's experienced, uh, not just, uh, you know, truth from a book that you could pick up and study. So it is important uh, to desire these different uh, areas in the church. And being a life group leader is a very high calling. Uh, you know, I mean, we do need to get in the mindset of, I really want to become a small group leader. How do I be trained to that, to do that? How can I be really effective and loving and caring as a small group leader? Because, uh, let me say this, uh, what again is greatly misunderstood in the church. Uh, most people think if you want to be a senior pastor, you just go to seminary. And then after seminary, you get posted in a church and you're the senior pastor. I mean, I couldn't tell you 
100% I disagree with that. Not that I disagree with seminary. I think there's lots of great stuff. But if you haven't been a life group leader, if you haven't been a pastor, to go to seminary, it's just, it just really doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, and that's why the statistics for seminary are so dismal. Like, you know, there's like a 70% dropout rate from seminarians. Those that graduate with the MDiv, 70% don't ever end up being a senior pastor. I mean, that's really bad. And then those that are senior pastors, when they ask them, you know, did seminary really prepare you to be a senior pastor? They say, it was terrible at preparing me to be a senior pastor. It was really great in terms of learning a biblical truth. But it wasn't so great in terms of learning leadership and strategic planning and, you know, all these other things that come in with leadership. That all happens in the small group area where you really get to learn how to manage people and love people and lead people to the Lord and help them advance in, this, in their faith. That happens in a small group. And, you know, the good news about that is almost all of us can be part of a small group and most of us can learn how to lead others or love others. Most of us are not going to end up having the money to go to seminary. Just, just, just the money alone is a, like a, you know, rule you out. If you've got $40,000 to spend at seminary, you know, most people don't have that sort of access. So we can all be small group leaders. It's a great thing to eagerly desire to be a uh, small group leader. Uh, let me just, while I'm saying that, uh, in 2 Timothy it says this, uh, Paul is encouraging Timothy, and he says to him, he says, listen, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So what Paul is doing, he's saying, look, Timothy, you look a little timid. And uh, I just want to encourage you that you can do this. And something happened which is more than me just selecting you, uh, there's some mystery that when I prayed for you and also laid my hands on you, uh, something happened. Uh, something happened spiritually. Something happened to your ability to lead. Now, that's a little mysterious, but it's what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do. So let me make this practical. Uh, Bernadette said there was something like 16 groups or something if you're leading a small group, why don't you just stand up? If you're leading one of these life groups, small group, specialty group, why don't you just stand up? So there's a whole bunch of different groups, all sorts of different groups. Uh, you know, good for you to have a look at some of these leaders. You can see all of them out in the lobby uh, when we're finished here. Um, but let's do this. Let's just do what Paul is, is doing. Why don't we just extend our hand to these guys, uh, girls, and just pray for God's blessing on them, that something spiritual transpires as they lead. So, Lord, I just pray for every uh, small group leader. I just thank you for them. Lord, I thank you that they're willing to lead. And, Lord, that they're willing to pour out their hearts, both in what they've learned, but also in their lifestyle in the way they live, in that area that they're trying to teach or do a little group in. Lord, I just pray for that supernatural uh, bonding of love and encouragement for all those that are part of that group. Lord, I just pray for the right people to be in the right groups. In your name, Jesus. Amen.
bless you guys. And, you know, after this meeting, go around, uh, see who's, uh, who's doing what in terms of uh, small groups. Uh, you know, just even casually, during the summer was encouraging, uh, I think it was Lisa Graves and Rayleigh were had organized uh, like a mentoring group for, I think it was, was it girls and just girls from like 8 to 12 years old. And, and so what they did was really simple. They said, hey, listen, each week let's do a different thing. One week we'll go really to learn how to cook, and then we'll go to Beth uh, Newman's place to learn how to do art. And, and I don't know what all they did. But, uh, you know, here's the classic thing. You got a whole bunch of kids every week intentionally being mentored, if you would, or just having fun. That's what the kids we're having, just having fun, learning from somebody that knows what the heck they're doing in different areas. Uh, good plan. I, I thought that was, that was great. Uh, you can do that. Uh, you know, for, uh, for me as a, a pastor, uh, I've also actually been praying. I've, this has been an ongoing prayer for a couple of years. Uh, this will be my um, 14th year of full-time ministry, and I think our church uh, has been going for, this will be like 16 years as a church. And uh, when we first started out, uh, I had a whole lot of ideas about how we got going. And uh, then I realized much later that, you know, it would be very helpful if I was mentored or coached or, you know, instead of trying to figure it out for, on your own. And the ironic thing is, because again, you know, sometimes you're slow to pick up on this, uh, you know, here I am, 16 years later, saying, God, uh, help me out. I mean, who, who could I have that could mentor me and coach me? And then it's a very difficult process. Uh, I mean, I've learned to have a very thick skin. I've asked a whole bunch of people to mentor me. Some don't even reply. Some say, no, thank you. Uh, some say, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, I mean, it's not easy to find the right fit. Uh, and so uh, I also noticed that in the vineyard, with the new uh, overseer, or uh, I don't know what we call him, Phil Strout, he oversees the Vineyard USA, uh, Phil's experience growing up was having a spiritual director. Now, that's a very Catholic uh, kind of a mindset. But the idea is uh, somebody that's just interested in asking, how's it going with you and Jesus? They're not interested in how's your church going. They're not interested in you know anything else. They're interested in you and Jesus. And so uh, Phil has encouraged all of us as pastors to find a spiritual director and uh, to do that. Now, you know, how do you do that? Well, I've been looking for that for, you know, a long time uh, as well. I'm like, not even sure what this fully looks like. Uh, uh, do I want this? Uh, do I, don't I want it? Uh, and yet, uh, even that, uh, God has sort of answered a, a bunch of prayers. And some of these have been a prayer I've been praying for a, a few years. Lord, find me the right person. It's somebody that's going to, Coach me, mentor me. And uh, what I'm trying to say is, Lord has answered those prayers. I mean, the prices in both those levels, at the beginning stages of both being coached, finding a spiritual director. And I'm saying all of this to say that uh, I don't think we're ever too old or uh, ever beyond being, you know, mentored because we all kind of need some help, direction. And uh, recently, I just had a wonderful opportunity to spend some time with a spiritual director. It's not going to be the person I'm going to have an ongoing relationship with. But, you know, this is what it felt like. The person said to me, Rob, what are the thoughts that just keep coming up in your mind? What do you think about all the time? 
And so you have to think about that, and then you respond to that. And, and then, you know, that's kind of telling, right, where, where your mind is at. What are the things that excite you? What are the things that give you, like, cause for concern? What is your body like physically? I mean, do you feel good about your body, bad? You know, these are the type of questions they're asking. And then when you put them all on a piece of paper, you're like, wow, I kind of get a snapshot of where where I'm at spiritually, right? Where am I at with Jesus? What are the things that I need to be doing that give me life? And what are the things I need to pair back with? So in a more uh, specific way, what I'm encouraged by is uh, Liza is going to be going to HLI. And uh, where's Liza? Liza, why don't you stand up? So let me just explain this. Uh, this book, Heroic Leadership, inspired uh, a, let me just say, a, uh, a, a little, let's say it's more than a, it's like a movement which is happening up in Maine, and now it's caught on in uh, Duluth, Minnesota, of all places, and Denver. Another group has broken out. But basically what the people that are being attracted to this are mostly, it's open to anybody, but it's mostly uh, those that have finished high school and are saying, God, I just want you to shape my life. Uh, I want to be with people that are believers. I want to learn what they want, what they want to teach me, but I want to learn their lifestyle. I want to learn what it is to be hanging out with folks that are in ministry, doing ministry. And so it's a nine-month uh, time period where they really before going to college, to say, God, I, just, I give you this, this year in my life. Shape me, mold me. I'm going to go live up, in, in this case, in, in Maine. I think you've got about three missions trips planned, uh, different parts of the world. Uh, you know, you're living with somebody that's going to, and a group of them, which are going to be shaping, mentoring. And it just, you know, for them, it's a lot of fun. I mean, you're with peers. It's a lot of adventure, a lot of risk, but great mentoring. A great, a great mentoring tool. So uh, let me just finish this message by uh, saying this. Uh, do you need a mentor? Uh, and have you thought about how other people can speak into your life? And again, the primary way that this happens is get part of a small group, a life group. Uh, experience that. If this is sort of a, you know... Most of us are nervous about getting involved in a little group where somebody starts telling us what to do. I mean, I don't know about you, but like, I'm not real keen on somebody controlling me, you know, or for me, like having to report to somebody about my activity and somebody says, no, you can't do that and you can do that. I mean, that's like creepy, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't want part of that group. So I understand if you haven't been part of a group, you might be a little nervous about testing the waters. Just check it out for a week or two. Don't have to commit. Uh, uh, if you find it's helpful and it's loving and it's uh, going to be good for you, pursue it. But uh, this is a good season to try it out. Check it out. If you want to be mentored, if you want to be loved, if you want somebody to be praying for you, uh, try that out. And perhaps uh, more specifically, uh, I would just encourage you this season, this all season to just commit to coming to church every Sunday while we do this series on, on mentoring. Uh, I would 
strongly encourage you to find a group. Make time in your schedule. They're all different nights of the week, different times of the day, different leaders. Different. Find one that works or seems like it'll most work. Uh, but even more specifically, uh, maybe you're saying, you know, I do feel like God is calling me to ministry. And uh, I want to explore that. I, I want to know what it's like to be a pastor. I want to know what it's like to be a life group leader. Uh, and if that's you, I just encourage you to email me. Uh, let's, have a, let's have a dialogue about that. What does it mean? And how can I help you, uh, mentor you, encourage you, or direct you uh, to do that? Uh, you know, it's just a high calling uh, to be a pastor or a small group leader because you're basically saying you're willing to give up your life for others and to serve Christ. Uh, and that'll extend you. It'll stretch you. But if that's where God is taking you, uh, I would love to receive an email from you. Anyway, uh, let me just finish off here with communion. Today we do communion once a month for those of you that are new to us as a church and there's no magic, but how often you do communion, the Bible says we should do it regularly. Um, and so we uh, do once a month. And, uh, you know, what's particularly encouraging when you look at Jesus and what he did at communion uh, was the Last Supper. Uh, because the people that Jesus was giving communion to weren't exactly uh, the best of all people. One of them was Judas, who you could hardly say was saved. Uh, and yet Jesus uh, gave him communion. Uh, the others, the best candidates, were the other 11 disciples, who were uh, very shortly after Jesus had given them communion, were all going to disown him. Uh, and yet Jesus gave them communion. So let me just suggest this. Uh, when you come to take communion, uh, the criteria really isn't, are you good enough? Because I would say most people aren't good enough. It's not what you bring to the table. Uh, what you're doing when you take communion is exactly the opposite. A, you remembering Christ's death on the cross. That's what he tells us to do. Do this in remembrance of me. And uh, secondly, what you're doing is saying, God, I need you. Uh, I need you to help me in my life. I'm asking you, Jesus, uh, to encourage me, to help me over my lifestyle that's not right. I recognize that I'm a sinner uh, and I need your input. Or thirdly, you might be saying, God, I'm taking communion because I just want to thank you for what you have done in my life. So, uh, you know, with that said, uh, I just encourage you to take communion. Uh, but I, I would not, I would advise you also not to take communion just because everybody else is. You know, if you don't really get it, just don't do it. Or don't just go through the routine like some boring ritual. I mean, that doesn't do anything for you or for the Lord. Uh, you, you know, just because others are going or you don't get it or you don't get God and you don't want to do communion, don't. But I encourage you to take communion. Uh, and as you do it, do it because you're remembering what Christ has done. He's died for you on the cross. That he really does love you. And B, you're saying, God, I need your help in my life. I need you. Lord, I'm asking you for your spirit, your Holy Spirit, to move, to change me, to strengthen me, to help me, uh, to become more like you. 
to be your disciple or to do it because you just want to thank God for what he has done in your life. Lord Jesus, we know that uh, you're asking all of us to become more like you. And Lord, we know that you want to pour out your love on each of us. Lord, that we should feel connected to you. We thank you, Jesus, that you're for us and not against us. And Lord, we acknowledge that you have the ability to heal us, physical healing, emotional healing. Lord, you have the ability to help us be connected relationally. Lord, we know that we need each other. So Lord, I just pray that you would guide us to be in the right groups, that we'd have the right friends, that, Lord, we'd make the right decisions when it comes to uh, those that are going to impact and influence our lives. Jesus, I thank you that you made this possible for dying on the cross. I thank you that we can take communion this morning and be mindful of the power that you've given us, that you've given us the power to overcome Death itself. Thank you, Jesus. And we just invite more of your presence in our lives as we take communion this morning. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.